Thank you, choir. Turn with me, please, this morning to John chapter 14. New Testament scriptures, John chapter 14. A few passages I'd enjoy looking at in John's gospel over the next few weeks, so we'll continue uh, to jump around in John's gospel. Today we'll look at John chapter 14, verses 15 through 27. John chapter 14, and let me begin reading at verse 15. Jesus is speaking. He says, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's give thanks and pray. Father in heaven, we ask this morning for you to be our teacher. We've read even in this passage of the Spirit who teaches your disciples. So do that work for us, we pray, this morning. We need it. And we're hungry and thirsty for it. And by means of your teaching, also transform us into your new creations. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we considered Jesus' question to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Jesus asked Peter this question three times when he appeared to him and the other disciples after his resurrection. And this was Peter's opportunity to confess his love for Christ, to undo the damage caused by his threefold denial. Well, in today's passage, we find Jesus giving further instructions on what it means to love him. What does that love look like in the life of a disciple? And these instructions are given before Peter's denial, but they're part of a large section in John that discusses what things will be like after his resurrection and ascension. It's often called the farewell discourse. And one of the emphases in the whole section is Jesus' promise to send the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is talking about what things will be like after he rises again and ascends into heaven. A big part of that is the coming of the Spirit, who will then transform the community of his disciples. And that plugs into a 
big theme in John. It's like jumping into the middle of a, of a river and being carried along with the current. At the very beginning of John's gospel, John gives us Jesus' cleansing of the temple. And the emphasis in John's presentation is Jesus' famous statement, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And John lets us in on the secret when he tells us Jesus was talking about the temple that was his body. So from the very beginning, when you start reading John's gospel, John wants you to know a new temple is coming. A new way for God to dwell and live with humans is coming. It's in Jesus. But now Jesus is telling his disciples he's going to go away. The temple is going to be destroyed, but even when it's raised up, Jesus is going to go away. So how is God going to dwell with his people? Through the Holy Spirit that Jesus promises to send after his departure. Because Jesus is the true temple torn down and raised up, now he'll send a spirit to make us into the temple and live among us. And and all are held together in this union that's here in the life of God. So this whole passage, the big idea is the spirit Jesus promises to send who will live with you and me. And this promised Holy Spirit will transform us into new creations that fulfill God's purposes for his world. You've read the story. Things go off track when Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit. God's purpose to dwell with humans gets messed up from the very beginning. And we can see all around us and inside of us this infection that continues to plague God's Creation. Well, how is he going to break through that? How is he going to heal that brokenness? As C.S. Lewis would say, how will he drop in behind enemy lines and win this battle? Well, a big part of it is by sending his spirit to make us new creations. So let's look at that idea in this passage today where we see God gives us an advocate to make us a new creation. And let's break our message today down to those two parts. First, Jesus sends us an advocate, the Holy Spirit. He begins with this statement in verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. As I just said, this passage is in the middle of a long long body of teaching where Jesus talks about his death and his resurrection and the spirit who will come afterwards. Again, a farewell discourse, some of his last words to the disciples. And it calls to mind Moses' last words to the children of Israel there in Deuteronomy. Just like Moses, Jesus admonishes his disciples to love him and keep his commands. And when Jesus talks about keeping his commands, I mean, it could refer to everything he taught, everything about him, just this whole body of teaching that he gives us. But I think in here, in this section, there's a special focus And Jesus saying, do what I require. You know what kicks off this whole farewell discourse? Jesus telling his disciples, love one another as I have loved you. Keep my commands, Jesus says. If you love me, keep my commands. And there's a special focus in this whole section on Jesus' command that they love one another. And so Jesus then says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. 
And one translation begins verse 16 as, Then I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. So here's the flow of thought. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and then I will send you another advocate. And the idea isn't so much, okay, you obey God, bonus reward, you get the Holy Spirit. Rather, here's what Jesus is saying. Where am I going to send my spirit? I'm going to send it to the community of those who love and obey me. Where does God live? What neighborhood does God live in? Among what kind of people does God dwell? Those who are marked by love and obedience. And that's why verse 17 goes on to say, The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. The Spirit is not present among those who do not love and obey God or love one another. He is present among those who manifest those fruits. He lives with Jesus' disciples and lives within them. And I think the idea is, when when he says the Spirit will be with you and in you, the Spirit lives here in the Christian community, not necessarily in the building, but where the community assembles, the Spirit is there. And he also lives individually with each believer, wherever you go. God goes with you through the Spirit. And he's working in you, and he's working in this body to produce these fruits of love and obedience. Now let's talk for a moment about the title Jesus gives the Spirit. He calls the Spirit another advocate, the Spirit of Truth. And he uses the same title in verse 26 and directly calls the advocate the Holy Spirit. Now the word translated advocate has several nuances. You might even have a different word in your translation. It's hard to find one word that just fully captures the idea. So you could think of the advocate, you could think of the spirit as generally one who appears in another's behalf. And so that's why your translation may say helper or counselor or comforter. Of course, advocate. We could suggest mediator, intercessor. You get the idea. The Holy Spirit is this divine person God sends to support the community of disciples. So I really like helper. That's a great idea. Advocate is good also. One who's on the side of God's people. So that's really the the big idea there is that the Spirit comes to help. The Spirit comes to support. And the Spirit comes to do that by transforming us into new creations. That's why Jesus contrasts the disciples' possession of the Spirit with the world's failure to know him. Again, there is something about the people who inhabit this planet that is infected, and that's how we all start. There's a moral world order or a system that's in rebellion against God. But God loves the people ensnared by that order and not only gives his son, the life of his son, to rescue them, but also sends the spirit to transform them. And that brings us then into the second idea. The Holy Spirit transforms us into new creations. That's what the rest of the passage focuses on, the specific ways the Holy Spirit transforms us 
and in new creations. And I've grouped them under three headings. So first, we are joined to God and inhabited by God. John, or excuse me, Jesus says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus' hour is coming when he will be taken away from the disciples and crucified. But here he promises the disciples he will not leave them permanently like orphans, but will return to them. Well, when will that be? Verse 19 tells us, Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And here Jesus almost certainly refers to the day of his resurrection. On that day, the world will not see him. That is, he won't normally disclose himself to large crowds. So all that feeding of the 5,000 and the the large discourses in John, after his resurrection, that's no longer the pattern. But he will appear to the disciples. And he tells them, because I lived on that day when I live with resurrection life, you can have hope that you will live with resurrection life. All right, great truths, but what do they have to do with the Holy Spirit? Verse 20 ties it all together. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. So Jesus is talking about resurrection but he seems to be anticipating truths that go beyond that day. His resurrection will result in the disciples realizing Jesus is united to his Father. The disciples are united to Jesus. Jesus is indwelling his disciples. Well, who makes all that happen? The Holy Spirit. Again, the point of the coming of the Spirit is so that the disciples will not be alone when Jesus leaves. So when the disciples realize that they're all connected, that's because the Spirit has come. So there's a little bit of double meaning on John's part, and he does it on purpose. Jesus is saying, I'm going to be taken away from you when I die. I'll return to you when I rise again. But likewise, I will leave you when I ascend to heaven but I'll return to you when I send the Spirit. He will be with you forever, and I will be with you because the Spirit is with you, and you will realize you are with God, and God is with you. And it is the resurrection, of course, that ties all those together, that makes all of them possible. And so the payoff is this, friends, you can know God. You you can be joined to God, to the triune God, and he will live in you by the Holy Spirit. And that's the point then of all this temple language. How will God live among his people? How will we know God? How will we experience God? No longer through the temple, but through the Holy Spirit. Where can you find God in this world? Where should you be able to find God? Where will he manifest his presence in the world through the community of those who love God and who love one another and who keep his commandments? Where that community exists, the spirit lives and God is found. So we are joined to God and inhabited by God. Here's the second idea or the second transformation. We are marked by love 
and obedience. Jesus returns to ideas that we saw at the beginning of the passage. Verse 22 reads, Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. So first Jesus says, let's talk about the marks again that characterize my disciples in the new era. When you read your Old Testament, it's really easy to identify an Israelite, is it not? God tells them how to dress. He tells them how to live. He he gives them detailed regulations for their life. Well, Jesus says, let me tell you how to find my people. No longer through the regulations of the Mosaic Covenant. But you will know them because they love me and they obey my commands. And the point isn't to put this big break between Jesus and Moses. I mean, there are places where the two commands overlap. You, you, you can find a moral thread that runs throughout all of Scripture. But Jesus is introducing a new focus, a new lens that he puts on Moses and that drives us forward to live our lives as God's people. And that is this ethic of love, that we will love God that we will love one another. He gets it from the Old Testament, and yet he gives it a brand new priority. And as we go on to read Paul's letter, Paul talks much about love along with faith and hope. Faith, hope, love. This is what characterizes Jesus' followers who are indwelt by the Spirit. That's our marks. But second, Jesus also speaks of an ongoing and deepening relationship between followers of Jesus and the triune God. Jesus says, the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. The the elements of that verse may seem out of order to us, don't they? Are you saying, okay, I love Jesus, and that gets me the love of the Father? No, Jesus gave the fundamental order much earlier in this gospel, when he told us God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And if there was any doubt, John writes in his first letter, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We love because he first loved us. That's the fundamental order. But as you learn or should learn in human relationships, love deepens. As the years go on. And so Jesus is saying, those who keep my commands, you will have a greater experience of the Father's love. He loves you and he will continue to love you. And you will have a greater experience of his love as you keep my commands. And not only that, but I will love you. There will be this intimate relationship between Jesus and his disciples. And he says, and I'll show myself to you in greater and greater measure. You're going to keep knowing me more and more and experiencing me as you love me and keep my commands. And so Jesus is just saying, I'm going to reveal myself. You're going to know me and there's going to be all this openness. Well, with that kind of talk, Judas pipes up. Now, John clarifies for us, not the Judas who betrayed Jesus, but another Judas. And we may think, that's a lot of Judases uh, running around. Seems strange to us. Judas was once an honorable name related to Judah, the tribe, or especially in recent Israelite memory, Judas Maccabeus, the great freedom fighter, was an honorable name. 
So that's why he had even two Judases among the disciples. And he asked, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Judas still cannot conceive of Jesus showing himself without it being startling, apocalyptic, big sky-filling self-disclosure. As D.A. Carson writes, Judas believes the kingdom must arrive in undeniable and irresistible splendor. And what Jesus does here is he reminds himself once again that is not how God's kingdom comes. At least not right now. It truly comes and it comes powerfully and it comes transformationally. It, It makes a difference. But it's not coming like that. It's coming through a people who love God, who love one another, and who obey Jesus' teaching. That's why we read in verse 23, Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. This is his answer to Judas. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. When will God come again? When will the kingdom come? It's coming amongst those who love God. And keep his commandments. That is where God rules. And so where there is no love for God, where there is no love for one another, where there is no attempt to imitate the character of Christ, God and his kingdom are not there. And so one more way that the Holy Spirit transforms us, we know truth and experience peace. Jesus says in the closing verses, All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus speaks here of a teaching ministry the Holy Spirit will perform for The disciples, he will enable them to remember things that Jesus said and also teach additional things to them, that they'll better understand the significance of what Jesus did and taught. And so this is giving us insight into how the Spirit worked to produce the Gospels and the New Testament. But let's also consider the relevance of this verse for us. The Spirit works among his people to teach them truth. The Holy Spirit continues to show truth to us. Now, I don't think he's going to show me any truth that I can then add to the New Testament. That's not what I'm talking about. But he will take God's revelation, and he will teach me truth. And he will do it to you as well. It doesn't mean you can short-circuit good reading or trying to study the word or listening to good preaching, but at the same time, it's more than just a mere mental exercise. God is with you to teach you. And through the word, through the spirit, God will teach you his truth. And then the person, the the virtues that God wants to impart to you, the the person he wants you to be, the, the conscience that he forms through that work, that is part of God's new creation. And not only that, but Jesus also promises, lastly, to give his people peace. This is a rich Old Testament concept, and it's directly related to new creation. Peace is wholeness. Humans restored in their relationship to God. 
Humans restored in their relationship with one another. Humans restored in their relationship with themselves. And humans restored in their relationship with creation. That's what's gone wrong through sin. That is what God is remaking through Jesus in the Spirit. So you could say that the kingdom of God, that is God's peace in the world. God's presence with his people. And it should ripple out into the wider world. One more time, Don Carson writes, At the individual level, this peace secures composure in the midst of trouble and dissolves fear. This is the peace which guards our hearts and our minds against the invasion of anxiety. It rules in the hearts of God's people to maintain harmony among them. And he also writes, Jesus displays peace, his own peace, through his hour of suffering and death. And by that death, he absorbs in himself the malice of others, the sin of the world, and he gives us his promised peace in a way that none of his contemporaries could imagine. Another way, Carson's just trying to say, you can have peace because Jesus became your peace, and he did it on the cross. We originally inhabit the old creation. We need the triune God to make us New creations. And that is what Jesus does. That is what God does through Christ on the cross. That is what God does by sending you the Spirit. And he will mark you with love, obedience, knowledge of God, truth, and peace. And then you in turn, you can embody those things to one another and to the outside world. That's what it will mean to be God's new creations inhabited by his Spirit. So let's pray for grace to do that. Pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for Jesus Christ, crucified and risen again, the Spirit that now lives here and among us, that we might be the new creation, that we might be the temple, that we might experience your presence with us. So Lord, continue to make us new creations. For anyone that needs to be made a new creation the first time, to be born again, Lord, do that work. Continually shape us into new creations. Show us, Lord, the ways of the old world order that still influence our thoughts, that still try to shape our loves, that would direct our actions. Help us to see that in our hearts and minds, to discern it and to put it off to pursue transformation. Father, I pray as a community that we would value love. We wouldn't be afraid or shy of talking about love, especially as the central mark of our life and our community. Would you make that true of us? Would you shape us into those who love you and love one another? And I pray that you would give us then a rich experience of the Spirit. I pray when we worship, we know the Spirit's presence. I pray as we go out and wherever we may be this week, may your people know your presence with them. Lead us by the Spirit. Transform us by the Spirit. Shape us in our character by the power of the Spirit. And we give you our thanks for these things as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's sing in closing hymn 334, Breathe on me, breath of God. 334, stand with me.